What is going on, guys? Welcome back to the Dad Wise Podcast. I'm Isaac, your host. Uh, we are just a group of dads seeking wisdom together. And today's podcast is packed full of wisdom from Chris Bruno. He's an author, uh, founder of Restoration Project and Restore Counseling, and also a marriage uh, course and counseling that he does. Um, and the books he's written are Sage and the Manmaker Project and the Brotherhood Primer. And I think there's a couple more, but the Manmaker Project is the one that I'm working on right now. It talks about how to um, call the man out of your son and to create rituals and rites of passage for your son. And then the, uh, the Sage book is about how you yourself um, transition into from being a man into being a sage. And so this conversation was packed full of wisdom. We talked marriage, parenting, uh, fatherhood, how to raise our sons, how to deal with our own stuff so that we can bring life to our families, how to reinterpret our stories, how to understand our story better so that we can bring life to our families. So you guys are going to really enjoy this conversation. Let's hop into it. All right. Hey, I'm here with Chris Bruno. Thanks for being with me today, Chris. Hey, so great to be here. Thanks for having me on the show, Isaac. Yeah, for sure. Uh, will you give people just kind of a background of who you are, where you are in the world, and kind of how many kids you have, and maybe grandkids too, if you've got any of those running yeah, around? Yeah. Um, so I am in northern Colorado uh, in a town called Fort Collins. I grew up here in Colorado, but left to nice. go to the Midwest uh, for a couple years for college. And then my wife and I lived overseas for about okay. 10 years in Istanbul, Turkey. And then we came back to the United States in 2007, uh, lived in Seattle. Nice. Uh, and both of us got graduate degrees then and moved here in 2010 to Colorado. So we've been here for the last 13 years. We've nice. been married for 28 years and we've nice got work. three children. Thank you. It is an accomplishment. <laughs> uh, we've got three kids uh, who are mostly adults. We've got two that are out of the house <laughs> and uh, one senior in high school still. So she's our nice. last one. Uh, so that's uh, kind of where we're at. No grandkids yet, but okay. you know, I, we, we need to get them married first. Uh, so <laughs> that's a good goal. <laughs> uh, you're right on the threshold of, uh, of empty nesting. I know. I know. I yeah. can't tell you how excited we are. It has been so many <laughs> years, so many years of parenting that uh, we're ready. We're ready. We yeah. love our. Kids. How do you? Don't get me wrong. Like we love our children, <laughs> and uh, and we are we're ready for a little freedom. Yeah. How do you think about that transition? I know you've talked about like uh, different thresholds and milestones in yeah. your different books and stuff. How do you think about the the empty <sighs> nesting? What are your your thoughts or your plans moving into that next oh, season? Well. Um, so, so many thoughts and plans. Uh, first of all, <laughs> this, we're gonna we're gonna celebrate with some good friends of ours. Uh, kind of have a, a victory lap trip nice. with a, another couple who's right at the same stage as us. The, they have a senior in high school and it's their last. So we'll do that together. Go on nice. some kind of trip. Uh, but then just the the openness and the freedom that we will then have to. And the crazy thing is that we're going to then go visit our children, right? Instead of them being <laughs> yeah. at home, we're going to go visit them. And, and yeah. we, we've grown a family that loves to travel. And so we'll be all awesome. over the world, I think, uh, as a result. So I love that. We're looking forward to it. Yeah. And you have freedom with kind of the work that you do that you can kind of move about the country as you, 
as you like. Yeah, that's awesome. As we like. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You can go leave their lights on and stuff at their houses and <laughs> <laughs> leave their cupboards open. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know how many cupboards I, or socks I have picked up, you know? Yeah. So, so I'm right in the thick of it. Yeah. I've got seven, five, three and a newborn. So we've got all sorts of socks everywhere. And so, well, yeah, we're yeah. a long way from empty nesting. <laughs> Yes, you we're are. Still, and you're right. We're adding to the nest. <laughs> and you know what, Isaac, like there is something beautiful about where I'm at, but there's also something really beautiful about where you're at. The the yeah. season of being that dad and being able to write some stories into the lives of your children uh, is just amazing. Uh, so yeah, uh, I think it's a beautiful time. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about your man maker project book. That's the one I'm currently okay. working through um, okay. about halfway. Okay. <laughs> okay. I've got a seven year old boy. Okay, seven-year-old yeah. boy. Yeah, seven-year-old boy, five-year-old boy, and the newborn's a boy too. So I've got yeah. a couple cracks at uh, <laughs> the man making, at, at developing men. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So my first son, I always like tell him, I'm like, I'm so sorry. We're just we're practicing <laughs> on you, and we don't know what we're doing. So thank this you is my for first being. Time. <laughs> yeah, it's my first time. It's your first time. Yeah. yeah. Um, can you give us kind of like a, a, a overview of what? the uh the book is about for people who don't know and uh yeah some of the key so, concepts manmaker project is uh, a book about how a father is designed by god to be an intentional pro like intentionally bring his son usher his son from boyhood into manhood that yeah. uh, in kind of the western culture we just do not have uh, rites of passage that are written into the fabric of our society and so i feel yeah. like there's something so, so important, so much ancient, you know, wisdom and culture has that and we've really lost that. And there's something yeah. significant that I feel like we need to do with our boys specifically to help them make that transition. Uh, we need to do that with yeah. our girls too, but yeah. it's a different process to raise, you know, for a father in the raising of his daughter than a father in raising of his boy. Uh, yeah. So the way I like to talk about it is that the, it's the, the task of the father to find the man within the boy and to call yeah. him forth and to bring yeah. him out. Uh, and there's all sorts of processes that I write about in, in Manmaker Project. A lot, a lot of times people think, oh, it's just like a ceremony when he's 12 or 13 or he, he right. you know, it's, it, it is that and it's a lot more than that. It's, it's more of the journey. Um, yeah. It started for me when, when I was right in the throes of it with my son. Yeah. I, uh, when he was born, uh, I was standing there in the hospital and uh, kind of having a little bit of an oh crap moment holding this boy. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know. I don't know what to do because it wasn't yeah. good for me. So I don't yeah. know what to do in raising this boy into a man. And so that kind of began a, a, a journey for me of doing some of my own work as a man yeah. uh, and then kind of thinking, how am I going to prepare to usher him into manhood? Uh, so yeah. that uh, that's where Manmaker Project came out, came about. Yeah. I love that. What is, um, you've talked a little bit about this in your book, but like the importance of discovering, like going into your own childhood, right? Cause like a lot of men weren't fathered well and right. weren't brought out. Right. And they weren't, uh, you know, man-made <laughs> their fathers didn't call that out of them. How do we start to unravel our story or go back into that story. How do you think about um, that process? As we try to develop men, we have to, you know, develop ourselves first or explore what's going on yeah. in us. I mean, I think one of the, the, my favorite phrases is that 
trauma is passed down from generation to generation until someone is brave enough to feel it. Hmm. That's a great line. Okay. And so when, when someone is brave enough to kind of turn towards what has been written into the brokenness of your life and of your family and, and, and maybe it's generational, maybe it was just, right. you know, something that happened with you. When someone is brave enough to feel it and investigate it and go towards it, that's yeah. when it, it diffuses the power of that trauma and it doesn't pass down to the next generation. Obviously hmm. we're all living in a broken and fallen world. And so we're not going to be perfect dads, no matter how much work we do on right. ourselves, it, we're not going to be perfect. And we can actually transform our, our family trees by doing some yeah. of this work. Like I want to be that guy. I want to be the, the, that guy in the line of all of the Bruno men before me that, <laughs> that transformed what it looks like uh, for the generations after me. That's why yeah. I, I say, hey, we gotta start with ourselves. Because, right. um, I, I mean, what, however you want the phrase to go, broken men, break men, you know, traumatized right. men, traumatized men, like there, there's, there's, there's so much that we could pass down. One of my yeah. favorite authors, he, he says that we are heaps of undigested experience. <laughs> we have all this experience living inside of us that we've not spent yeah. the time investigating or digesting. And as, and as long as that sits there, it's like this, this, uh, you know, sinking feeling that you have in your soul that you just can't get out of. And, and mm. I think really some of the, the deepest work of fathering is to do your own work so yeah. that you don't transfer it to the next generation. It doesn't leak out yeah. on the next generation after you. What are some of the ways that you would uh, encourage or that you do encourage men, you work with men all, all the time um, to digest their experiences? How does a man go about doing that? Especially one who's probably not so connected with themselves, you know, how do we start that journey? You know? Yeah. Well, so I, I would say get connected with men that are doing this. If you don't know how mm -hmm. to do this, get, find some that are look in your, in your community, look in your church, look, look at work. Are there some guys around you that, that have kind of the sense of, of gravitas to them, some sense mm -hmm. of depth to them that you're like, oh, I want to be like him. And, yeah. and even if it's not like, he, like I said, you, we're never done. It's not going to ever be perfect, but there's just yeah. something about another man uh, that can, can be with you in that process. So that would be first. Second, yeah. it would be find some kind of groups or organizations that do this kind of thing. Uh, yeah. And uh, just promoting my own organization, Restoration Project, which <laughs> Isaac, you've been involved with Restoration Project, yeah. is, uh, is this is what we do. We, are, mm -hmm. we want to see, our vision is to see a world of transformed men. Uh, yeah. And it's a, it's a Christian ministry that focuses on this, but we, we help guys take those steps into their stories and into yeah. doing that work with other men too. So whether it's through our books or experiences that we run or retreats that we have or online platform, you know, you know, courses and all the stuff that we have, there are yeah. ways for you to start doing that. The other thing I would say is just like you, like start to read. Yeah. Guys don't read very much, right? Just, you don't have time to read and whatever, yeah. but start to read. And if it's just like two or three pages a day, uh, yeah. and there are so many, so many great books out there, uh, for, for us to read that will lead us down the pathway of, uh, really investigating our own stories. And then yeah. the last thing I'll say, and it's not the last thing I could say, but the last thing I will say right now, um, <laughs> 
the more like we have been given the gift of reflection. Hmm. No other creature on earth has the, has the gift of reflection. And so just for us to sit in, whether it's think, pray, talk, journal, whatever it is to reflect on your life and just ask yourself like, what's going on here? What's going (laughs) on in the story of my life? That would be the first kind of step into those waters. Yeah. It's so hard to like just sit (laughs) without any distractions these days. Yeah. To reflect. Yeah. Um, what are some of those books that you'd recommend? I usually ask at the end, but I'll ask now since you brought it up. I love reading and with audiobooks now we got and there's no excuse not to be listening to a book on the way to work or while you work out or whatever. But yeah, what something. are some of your top for on this topic as far as like exploring your own story? Exploring our story. Uh okay, so I'll I'll mention uh Becoming a King by Morgan yeah. Snyder. I'll mention a book uh called Healing Path by Dan okay. Allender. Um, another one called the soul of shame hmm. by a man named Kurt Thompson. Okay. Okay. I think, I read um, that one. okay. I think, uh, I mean, there's many of them by Brene Brown, uh, I okay. think would be good ones for, for people. Uh, you, yeah. you mentioned man maker project, uh, that yeah. is, you know, my book, uh, yeah. I th- I think it's pretty good. I don't you know. You like it? Yeah. <laughs> like it. Um, and then uh, I actually just came out with another book called Sage. Uh, yeah. Uh, that is about the second half of a man's life. And yeah. this is something, you know, I know that we're talking to dads that are often have young kids still at home. They're not even thinking about yeah. the second half of life and, and what that looks like. We just talked about empty nesting. Uh, yeah. But I really find that the more intentional you can be in your 30s, Hmm. around who you are becoming and where you are going, the, the kind of easier the road is as you make those transitions into your forties and fifties. Uh, yeah. so Sage is really about that invitation to do that work as well. Uh, so, yeah, I love that. Um, will you tell us, I, I want to talk about Sage also, but will you okay. tell us, um, kind of like what, what to look forward to as you are becoming a Sage, what's that transition look like? And, uh, I mean, how can I, I'm 31. So how can I prepare for sagehood <laughs> or cause not everyone becomes a sage, right? Some people just get old, um, yes. and they don't gain any wisdom and have nothing to pass on, but how can a younger man be building towards that as they're, as they're thinking about that? Yeah. Well, I think the, the first thing is just to recognize that it is actually another season. I feel like so much of, you know, we, we think about the seasons of a man's life and, and really yeah. it's like three main seasons, boyhood, manhood, yeah. and old man. Uh, and <laughs> I, you know, and, and even that like manhood, you think about it, you, you become a man and you're just a man for the rest of your life. The reality is you're a man for a season and then you're designed to become a sage. You actually embody mm. a different, you know, a, a different presence in the world. Uh, so yeah. Uh, just the first thing would be like, yeah, there is, there is another season. There is another step. There is another stage yeah. uh, and it has very little to do with retirement. It has so much <laughs> more to do with who you are on the inside than what is happening on the outside. Uh, yeah. so, so that, that piece, um, the way, the way that I talk about Manmaker and Sage kind of together is, yeah. uh, is that the, I just mentioned like the task of the first passage, 
in a man's life is for the father to find the man within the boy and to call him forth. The task of the second passage into Sage, the task of the second passage is for the man is for for you. You know, it's not your dad anymore, but it's for the man to find uh, the boy within the man and to bring him home Hmm. and to bring him home. So there's something about coming home to yourself that I think a sage that that journey is about. So to be settled, to have a sense of connectedness to your own life and story, to have a sense of, uh, not settled like you're settling down into your house, but settled into your own soul. Your soul feels at home inside you um, Hmm. in that way. So uh, when we have sages like that, again, we don't have rites of passage in our society. We don't have, we don't have sages really in our societies. We just have a bunch of retirees uh, that, (laughs) that kind of disappear in many ways. I am am not against golf and cruises, but that's not (laughs) what I'm looking forward to in my life as a sage. I want to be present and engaged and involved. And yes, I want to go on trips and play golf and do some of that stuff too, but that's that's not what I'm living for as a sage. I'm living, I'm living to bring the fullness of the presence that God designed for me to have inside of me. Yeah. What are some of like the characteristics you've mentioned a little bit about it, but like, what, Mm. what is a sage, like your definition of a sage, what are they doing, being, acting like? Yeah. (laughs) So, um, and, and each of these would have a chapter in the book. So one, right. There is a settled contentment that happens inside of the sage where he feels uh, that subtleness. He's content with who he is. He's content with where he is. Uh, what he has been, what he's done. There's a subtle, there's not this like have to fight the next battle, conquer the next hill, you know, yeah. accomplish the next thing. He might still be actively engaged in doing those kinds of things, but his identity is not hitched to those things anymore. It has a lot hmm. more, he's more settled in his own self. Yeah. There's a, a level of what I call generous spirituality hmm. where, uh, where he's, he's able and willing to sit in the both and of, hmm. uh, of a spirituality that doesn't have to have this like severe black and white us and them right and wrong. He's yeah. able to sit in the space of like, uh, I, truth still exists and I can, it is a lot larger territory than I first imagined it would be. Right. Uh, and I feel like that's what we have. Uh, we have a lot of black and white in our world. And I feel like yeah. the, the more it, it's not a, it's not a giving up of the convictions. It's just allowing right. for there to be some more spaciousness around me to where yeah. I, I am more concerned about being with you and in relationship with you and bringing love to you than I am concerned about what you're thinking or believing to having a, right. a general spirituality. Yeah. I love I think, that. Uh, you know, uh, something about hospitality as well. Uh, hmm. This idea that I can welcome you in, and I don't mean hospitality into your house necessarily. Yes, that yeah. and far more a hospitality of uh, you're welcome here. Come sit. Let us be. I don't have to prove anything to you anymore. I can yeah. just be in your presence as 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 I sit here. You feel like you're welcome. Uh, there's not this like pissing match happening anymore between, <laughs> between guys, uh, you know, that I have yeah. to prove myself. Um, there's, you're welcome in, in the space. Uh, I think something else, I'm not going to go through them all, but something else just like I'm familiar, <laughs> I'm familiar with suffering. Yeah. I've actually engaged suffering uh, and instead of resisting suffering, I've actually found that suffering 
is what helps us back to the word uh, digesting our experience, right? Yeah. Suffering is and grieving and celebrating two sides of the same coin are actually part of what it means to suffer well. Uh, yeah. So suffering is all throughout our lives and all throughout the yeah. world. Can we suffer well? Do we know how to engage that and grieve well and then celebrate well because we've grieved well? Those are the kinds of things I think are characteristics of a sage. Yeah, I love that. How would you say uh, in the suffering well, what's the contrast between just suffering and suffering well? Because you can suffer and become bitter <laughs> or you can yeah. suffer and become wise. How, how does someone yeah. who becomes wise from suffering engage with that? Oh, such a great question. I'll, I'll put it into like a, a dichotomy and just speak about the, the spectrum between the two ends. Cool. One of them is, you know, uh, suffering and becoming bitter, just like you said, this, this sense of everyone's against me, no one is with me, this always yeah. sucks, uh, I hate my life, like that kind of stuff, this, this sense of like wallowing in yeah. the suffering, that's not gonna, it's not gonna result in something good for you or for your life. Yeah. Um, on the other side of the spectrum is what I would say is denial. Yeah. That, huh. uh, that I'm just gonna uh, I'm shut off, um, kind of cut out this part of Man, my life. Don't feel it. Yeah. I'm not mm -hmm. going to feel it. Uh, and, or I'm going to redouble my efforts to kind of power up even more over this and become hmm. a better man because, yeah, you know, they're just like that, that hoorah kind of feel Yeah. those two, you know, the wallowing or that powering up, those are not going to, that's not suffering. Well, suffering hmm. well is, uh, is turning towards the suffering, asking it what it would like you to learn. Uh, helping you have a sense of what have you lost and, yeah. and if if you lose something it must mean something to you right hmm. and yeah. if you lose something of value you want it back you're grieving right. the loss of it and so yeah. what was that what did it mean to you how did that uh you know how did that become something that meant something to you uh and, and turn towards suffering and uh, really kind of like i said ask it what it would like you to learn yeah. and then actually feeling it yeah, feeling it. That's hard. <laughs> it's hard. It is. We're not trained for feeling. Yeah. No, no, we're not. You know, boys don't cry. So why would we? Why would we actually turn towards our feelings, except for, you know, the fact that they're they're so much a part of who we are, right. and if we don't turn towards our feelings, they will turn against us. And hmm. So uh, I think I feel like some of the suffering is turning towards it. Yeah, I love that. What has been like, what's the transition like from regular manhood to sagehood? I'm sure it's a mess. It's not like a straight line, a line in the sand that you just cross over. But what has it been like for you? Do you consider yourself into the, the sage a category yet in transition? I, I feel like I have just passed the threshold. So awesome. uh, yeah, just passed the threshold. I, I'm not in it by, you know, by any stage, any sense of the imagination. It's just like I'm in the territory. Yeah. Um, and so much more to go. The transition to me feels like, you know, as those characteristics I talked about yeah. uh, kind of settle into you, like, all right, here's where I actually get to be the fullness of who I was designed to be. And that's mm. now my primary focus of life. It's no longer, uh, you know, like 
uh, I'm no longer needing to do all the things that you're needing to do to raise your family yeah. or, or, you know, uh, the career side of things feels like the, the uphill climb has been had. And now, now mm. I'm kind of at a space where I can continue moving in the direction that I've, I, you know, I have gotten myself to yeah. in career, yeah. those kinds of things, relationships feel like they're, they're out of place of, uh, still needing tending and still needing right. uh, a right. lot of, a lot of work, but they don't feel as tenuous or fragile as they did before. Um, yeah. So, so those are some of the things that feels like, okay, I'm starting to head into this, this sense, uh, of being a sage. And, and then I'll also say like, I don't, I, and I, the sage doesn't have to be the biggest man in the room. Yeah. Yeah. That would be one of the primary kind of indicators of like, I, I'm okay. <laughs> Okay. I don't have don't need to, to be the center of attention, huh? <laughs> you know, and then there's the people that, you know, are the extroverts and all that, that are the center of attention. I'm not speaking about that, sure. but they may still enjoy that, but they don't, there's not that compelling. I have to be, hmm. it just, it's just like back to that settled contentment. I can be, but I don't have to be. Yeah. I can I be that. here and be fully present, but I don't have to be. So hmm. that feels like some of that as well. I love that. Are there any like uh, archetypal sages that you look to? I always just think of like Gandalf, uh, <laughs> but are there other like good like stories that have depicted a sage that you like? I I haven't read your book yet, but uh, I don't know if you've mentioned yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, in that. I, the the fact is, sages are all over our stories. They're all over our stories. Um, yeah, Gandalf for sure is a yeah. quintessential sage. The most probably yeah. the most epic of all sages. Um, Yoda. Mm -hmm. Another one, uh, eventually, yeah. eventually Luke Skywalker, um, <laughs> so he had a lot, a long journey that he had to walk Ups and downs. Um, yeah. Ups and downs. Uh, but then, you know, just, uh, I mean, Dumbledore, I mean, it's just, they're all hmm. sages are all over the place and yeah. how they do things. And, you know, if you kind of look into biblical literature, there's, mm -hmm. there's sages there. If you look into historical literature, they're, they're everywhere. My yeah. favorite um, comes from a, a fictional uh, five-part book series that I read okay. when I was started reading when I was 16 years old. Okay, uh, and uh, I've read them and then read them again and read them again. I read them about yeah. once a year. So it's uh, it, there's a sage in there that I just love. What's it called? So, oh, that or... book series is called the. It, it's written by a guy named Stephen Lawhead, and it's okay. called the Pen, Pendragon Cycle. Okay. Uh, so there's five books. It's all about like Arthur and Merlin and that yeah. whole time period and, and all of that. I read them when I was started reading them when I was 16 and, and Merlin is the one that has actually been the, the greatest sage for me in, sage. in my life. Yeah. What are some of his characteristics that you love so much? Why is he your favorite sage? Oh, well the, the book series really is about him and his life. Okay. Uh, and it, it, kind of demystifies him in some ways. He's not like the magic magician that everybody kind of, you know, thinks that he was actually what's called a bard and a bard hmm. was, uh, was trained in several different things. One was like listening to the land and where medicines were found and how to, hmm. how to bring healing. They were trained in music and storytelling. So the bard yeah. would be the one in the, in the King's chamber that would sing the stories of the people over the people to both remind them of where they were and where they were going and kind of give courage for the battle tomorrow, like those kinds of things. Yeah. Um, 
So Merlin himself was a king at one point, and okay. then huh. you know, and then kind of stepped out and underneath uh, King Arthur to become the the counsel for the king. So there, okay. there are places there that I just love. And then he, you know, there's a little mysticism in there. There's a little magic that happens of in these in these books. <laughs> um, so there has to be, but just like Gandalf and Yoda and all that, and, and right. Dumbledore, they all have some level of like, you know, yeah. fantasy and, and and whatever. So I love that too. I love that. Um, will you talk about what it kind of looked like for you to explore your story? I'm kind of going back to earlier when we talked about, sure. you know, hurt men, hurt men, um, and exploring your own story. What did that look like for you? Because I know story is a big thread that when I did the, the Grove, we explored story a lot. So how did that play out for you in your life? Yeah, well, I, I, I mentioned that I was standing in that hospital room holding my son and he was my firstborn. And I, I just was, I was not ready for that. I was not ready to step into uh, becoming a father, being a father, fathering, all that stuff. So that really opened the door to some of the places of my own life where where I was unfathered, underfathered, yeah. uh, not fathered, and and just had to kind of take some inventory, if you will, of what yeah. that was like. Uh, back then, uh, John Eldridge and Wild at Heart had just yeah. come out, and so it was it was new territory for me to start to read that. Uh, and I, I mentioned that I lived overseas. Uh, I was leading a ministry, and we had. Uh, people that were coming over for, you know, a, a week, a summer, a year, two years. We were the long-termers okay. and there were people that were coming to join our team for yeah. various levels. And so many of the people that came for the year or two year, they were recent graduates from college. Yeah. Uh, and then I was kind of in charge of leading the men. And so this was their first step into adulthood. Yeah. And uh, as they were trying to like wrestle through who they were as young men, young adults, uh, they were looking to me and I was like, I don't know. I don't know how to do this either. <laughs> and I'm down the road a little bit from you, but I don't know how to do this either. So yeah. uh, I had to do a lot through, and we were overseas and this was at a time, you know, at the time before, you know, audiobooks and internet and all that kind of stuff yeah. was really available. And so uh, I had to just have people bring books over to me and read them. So, awesome. so my journey was really through reading. It was through yeah. some really significant authors that invited me to consider my own story. Uh, and then when we came back to the States, I knew that I wanted to retool and retrain for the next season of my life and ministry yeah. and career. And that's where I got uh, a counseling degree. And it was okay. through the counseling program. Uh, I knew exactly what school I was going to go to. And it was only to that school. And it was in yeah. Seattle uh, because of the program, because of how they engaged story. Yeah. Because I knew that that was something that was that was that uh, had become important to me. Uh, yeah. And I wanted yeah. to learn how to do that. So. Uh, it was through that counseling program then that I was wrecked. I was just yeah. wrecked through what they were inviting us to consider, how they were inviting us to be, the postures they were inviting us to. Uh, and then it was from that that uh, I met Greg Daly, who is the co-founder of Restoration Project. And okay. he was a pastor and I was, you know, he was also passionate about these things. So we, what I was learning in the classroom, I had the laboratory for in the church. That's and awesome. Yeah. We, we kind of started doing some of that work for ourselves and then with some other guys. And that was really the genesis of Restoration Project. I love it. And that was, is that Allender Institute up in Seattle? Or what is it yeah, called? It's, Allender it's called School? The Seattle, <laughs> the Seattle School of Theology and Psychology. Okay. Awesome. 
Cool. So how do you um, encourage men to revisit their stories? Do you do they like retell it in a new way or just revisit it? I know in the in the Grove, we all brought like a, a token of some kind from our childhood right. and then we told the story of it and then kind of unpacked that. Will you kind of explain that that process? Sure. So um, our bodies hold our stories in memory. Mm-hmm. Right. So we remember what has happened, but we can't do anything with our memories. We, uh, we can't change them. We can't, you know, work with our memories until they are told. So mm-hmm. a story is a memory that is brought out into the in-between of at least two people. I get to tell you my story and, and now, now it becomes something that's out in the in-between and we get to think yeah. about it, wonder yeah. about it, ask about it. Uh, explore the story more and and yeah. it's not that that just like here are the events of what happened right the story is what did you feel about those events right and then what did you come to believe about what you feel felt about yeah. those events that's the mm-hmm. actual story so as yeah. you're engaging in some storytelling with some someone else and whether that's in a small group or with a counselor or a coach or a friend or a pastor like as you're as you're telling the story and as someone is actually sitting with you in that story that's where you get to wonder like what is the actual truth of what went on for me here yeah because the events you can't go back and change the events you yeah. can't go back and change your emotions about those events but what you can yeah. do is some um kind of tweaking unraveling about what you came to believe about yourself yeah. others the world god whatever it is that what you came to believe as a result of those things. And, and kind of what I mean is, you know, our, our stories, especially our stories of harm, all yeah. have embedded in them interpretations, interpretations right. about beliefs about uh, ourselves in the world. So it sounds like, you know, uh, no one is coming for me. Right. I will always be alone. Yeah. I will never me- measure up. There's something wrong with me. I'm just a pervert, like whatever those, those Mm -hmm. narratives are that sit there at the level of story that didn't come there because the event or the emotion happened. It came as a result of what you believed about yeah, the interpretation you came to. And so when you can explore your story with another person, uh, and they, they begin to kindly wonder with you what was actually happening right there for you in that story, you can slowly, slowly begin to kind of unravel and unpack that, that narrative in a different way. Yeah. I remember one of the key like aspects of the the Grove experience was curiosity about the story. So like when someone tells their story, you just ask questions and you're curious about them or about their story and let them kind of, as you're curious, they kind of unpack it themselves. And that's an awesome strategy. I don't know if that's a, a counseling strategy or what, but it's, it's a yeah. great way to allow someone to kind of walk through their story on their own. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and the reality is, Isaac, like if I say the word stupid <laughs> and you say the word stupid, it's going to mean something different to you because of the story around stupid that I hold versus the story hmm. that you hold. And yeah. so the actual meaning it is what's important is I'm telling my stupid story, yeah. right? It's, it's what it, how does it live inside of me yeah. and your curiosity around it 
is, is not tell me more about the content of the story, but tell me more what we talk about is the context of the story. What did that feel yeah. like to you? And, and you're not making conclusions as the story listener with your curiosity. You're just inviting. So tell me more about that. What did that feel like to you? Where did you go yeah. with that? Uh, kinds of things, because we all have our different perspectives on, yeah. you know, yeah. what each of those stories may mean. Uh, yeah. and it's important for us to unpack it for us. Yeah. I love that because it's, it's different than just like positive thinking or pretending it's all okay. Like it's fine. Nothing, you know, like I'm okay. I'll just think happy thoughts. Right. And it's, and it's not lying to yourself about what happened. Right. It's not denial. And it's not like just a masquerade of pretend fake it till you make it. It's right. It's diving into it and then changing the things you can change, which would be your interpretation and uh, the truth. Like, because people build their lives on those truth statements that aren't we, true, right? Like, I'm a loser, or I'm always going to be alone, or I need to fend for myself, or yes. whatever those lies are that people that get embedded. So you can unpack and, those, and that's an honest thing to do. They yeah. Actually, I mean, they work for a while, right? Those strategies work for a while. Until right. they stop working, and, and then you're kind of left with like, what do I do now? Yeah. Uh, so, and and you're right. Like there is, we're not going to convince ourselves of a new way of being, or convince ourselves of a new interpretation. Uh, yeah. The the way that I like to talk about it is that tragic things happen in the world. Those tragedies when there is a lack of kindness in the moment of those tragedies, yeah. that's where those tragedies transform into traumas, soul shaping, mm -hmm. life shaping, interpretation, forming traumas. Mm. And those traumas are what live inside of us until there is kindness that is brought back to those traumas revisited yeah. from someone else, from you towards yourself and from someone else towards you. Yeah. That then begins to unpack and unravel the trauma, the sh the power of it, kind of diffusing, as I said, the power of that, so that it can become. It's not ever going to erase it. Yeah. But it becomes less powerful. It goes transforms back from trauma into a tragedy. Yeah. It doesn't have the power over mm. you any longer. And, yeah. and the key yeah. there is kindness. The key there is not. Uh, let me just have you read this or straighten you out. This. Yeah. <laughs> Our positive thinking, you know, straighten you yeah. out. You just need yeah. to change your thinking. That doesn't actually help. No, it's kindness. The kindness hmm. of another person uh, and yeah. you towards yourself that actually transforms our lives. Yeah. That's awesome because it's, you can do that anywhere. And in any relationship, at any coffee, it doesn't have to be a sit down, intense, you know, counseling session. It can be. But as yeah. men, we can just think of like, how can I be curious about this person's story? And how can I bring kindness to it and that's just every day <laughs> like that's great parenting that's great relationship advice for husbands and wives yeah or anywhere yeah and, and another resource we have in, at restoration project is called the brotherhood primer yeah. and it is all about helping specifically helping train us men on how to have that kind of presence that kind of kindness in the context of our relationships yeah uh, it develops brotherhood amongst us and not just a bunch of buddies that sit around and grow <laughs> You know, watching the game with Talking about football, yeah, yeah, and 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 that that could be there's value there, right? Yeah, just like I said a little while ago, I'm not against cruises and golf, I'm not against <laughs> games and beer, but but the thing is, is like that's not actually the grit of uh, of where real relationship is found. Yeah, 
How is this? I'm curious about. Uh, I was just going to ask you like marriage advice in general, but how is this concept of exploring story? Have you? Because you talk about men doing it, like that's the the Grove yep. and Restoration Project. How have you done this with your wife, and how much do you recommend men do this with their wives, or? Yeah. Should they go out on a solo adventure and come back? <laughs> you know, like, is it a, a mountaintop thing or oh, how does this well, play out? That's yeah, so great. I think it's both of the things, right? Yes, go on the mountaintop. Yes, get with your other with your buddies and, and, and do this with other men. But yes, 100%. Um, the, the, the marriage work that I do in something that we've developed called the Thrive Marriage Lab is, yeah. uh, is actually helping couples explore their stories so that their intimacy, their connection, their presence to one another can take a different level, can go to a different level. Yeah. Um, so a hundred percent, it is a different posture that if we can take with our wives, uh, it transforms how things are in your yeah. marriage. What would you tell me? I'm a 30 year old man. I'm married nine years now. How, what are some of the key lessons you've learned from marriage just kind of in general? Um, you said 27 years you've been married. Yeah, 28. So, yep. 28. So how 15. can how can a man build a strong, healthy marriage that will last a lifetime? Oh, how much time? <laughs> do we have? How much? Time 20 do minutes we have? left. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's um. So, uh, <clears throat> I think I would say this: go first. Okay, go first. Don't make her go first. <clears throat> go first in this work, go first in exploring your life, go first yeah. in recognizing that you, you have some brokenness that you bring to the marriage. Uh, that's not her fault. She might be, she might be, uh, kind of brushing up against some of the, the burrs, the daggers that have kind of been put into your life from those tragedies of your life. Uh, yeah. she might be brushing up against them, but it's not, she didn't put them there. And right. so like, uh, yes, every time if there's a dagger in your heart and she brushes up against it, it's going to cause pain, but it's not her fault. So yeah. go first to recognize what are some of the things in your life that need to be attended to, uh, and attend to them and do, do that hard work. And then secondly, like, let's not forget that, that marriage was designed for connection and delight, mm -hmm. connection and delight. It was not designed to make sure you have the best house or the best career, or the best car, the best <laughs> out, like, all those kinds of things. If there is, if there is connection that you can find with one another, then that is really what you should be shooting for. And, and I say yeah. that because men will focus on the provision, on the career, on the bank account, on all those and think they're being good husbands, right? That's not husbanding. <laughs> okay. That's yeah. adulting. Yeah. Husbanding husbanding is actually turning yourself towards her in a way that is both humble and present and kind. Uh, and, and I, and I want to like land on the word present, mm -hmm. uh, you know, provision is not husbanding a house over your head is not husbanding. Those are good things that the two of you can work towards to create, to create a home. Yeah. Uh, but husbanding is actually being that kind, generous, strong, tender presence. That's so good in a way that, uh, that no one else on earth can. Yeah. I love it. I mean, if you think about like the root of husbandry, animal husbandry, 
there's no uh, there's there you're just you're attentive to your animals right you're there you're watching them you're with them there is some provision involved but it's yeah. uh, you think about the shepherds on the in the it's, mountains you're just it's there not, it's not the <laughs> main attention. thing it's one of the things provision but it's not the main thing the yeah. the most important thing i think in husbanding is presence yeah are you present and if you're not what is keeping you from being present yeah and that has far more to do with your story than hers. Yeah. What do you think are some of like the biggest roadblocks for presence? I know like the iPhone is definitely <laughs> an easy an easy uh, scapegoat, but I'm sure there's more. Yeah. Well, the you know, uh, I'll 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 take the iPhone and I'll raise you one and that yeah. is that the iPhone is has become our greatest uh dissociative tool hmm. to dissociate. So at roadblocks, I would say, yes, the iPhone is one, but the iPhone is one, uh, football is another, uh, busyness is another, career is another, anything that dissociates us from from being there, from associating. I mean, the opposite of dissociation is association. So, yeah. so um, the iPhone is one. Uh, I think... I think another narrative that gets played out in so many men's lives is like, I have to be somebody. Hmm. Yeah. And I have to be somebody in my job. I have to be somebody in my neighborhood. I have to be somebody in my career. I have to be somebody in my church, whatever it is, I have to be somebody. And so there's all this yeah. energy that is, that is aimed in a man's life towards becoming, becoming something. When I think the, what, what would happen in men's lives if we just like settle down and go and, and kind of wonder like, who am I versus who do I have right. to become? Right. Who, who am I? And how do I be that guy? Yeah. Uh, and spend my energy there. Uh, yeah. so I think some of the roadblock is, you know, you bring up roadblocks to being present is, is trying to go like do something, become something <laughs> somewhere else. When, when in fact, like, I don't think she actually needs, you to do all that right i think she actually just needs you to be to like show up right yeah she doesn't care if you're famous or rich or <laughs> you're famous to your kids <laughs> so be let, be let the you be, hero to them yeah to them and to her like yeah. that is your primary focus i love that i want to circle back around to where we started with the yep. uh the man maker project um okay. yeah. with my seven-year-old and three-year-old and Seven Infant. week old. <laughs> uh, how do I start building towards that? And when do you kind of make that like official? Like I'm I'm doing it now. Like this is I'm starting the the process. Yeah. So um, as we talked about earlier, the the beginning years of your son's life, uh, what he needs most from you is uh, is that sense no. of presence. <laughs> there he is, right here. You want to say hi, Leo? Hi. This is, Chris. this is Chris. I don't think you can hear him in my headphones. Mm -hmm. We were just talking about how to raise sons. Mm -hmm. So here we are. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right, head down. I'll be down in a few minutes. Okay. You eating lunch? lunch? Okay, thank you. All That's right, where awesome. were we? <laughs> His name is Leo. Leo, yeah. Okay, awesome. Um, so I, I would say the, the thing that most uh, that your boy needs from you is is your presence and your delight. Yeah. Okay. And your delight. Uh, he needs, he just needs to play with you. And yeah. I think that the daddy, will you come play with me? Question is important for us to answer with a yes. 
Yeah. Okay. Um, so during that time that he's that age, it's yeah. mostly about you do mm. your work. Okay. Yeah. Um, and when he turns, when puberty starts to hit, yeah, it's, a it's new really beast. when he's, he's a new beast in all the ways. Right. So, yeah. uh, that is when you want to be really ready to have a journey planned out for him. It is, it yeah. is far less about what, and it is, it is more about that, not what hmm. you do, but that you do something. Uh, right. so have thoughtful, intentional, a journey planned out for him of what that's going to look like for him over the course of, I, I like to think about it as a journey of about a year, uh, mm -hmm. and that uh, involves other men, involves you as a dad, involves other men in, in that, that kind of ends with some kind of, uh, celebration, uh, yeah. and test really. Cause I think right. different, we don't have time to go into it, but I think our, our ultimately what our, what our boys need from us is our heat. And what hmm. our girls need from us is our warmth. Huh, and, I love that. And so there is there is a testing process. I think that your right. boy will need because he will. I, I, all of us men, I think, ask the question like, "Am I a man?" Right. And he will be asking that question for the rest of his life, unless and until dad answers that. Yeah. Yes, you are a man. I I hereby, in the company of men, yeah. deem you a man. Now yeah. you get to sit at the table of men. And when he turns 13 years old, that doesn't actually happen. <laughs> he's got a lot to do before he's actually a man, but at yeah. least he can sit at the table of men. And if he starts to believe right. that he is a man, then he will become that man. Yeah. Uh, so that, that 12, 13 year old time frame is really important. And, and with restoration project, we have experiences for dads, yeah. of younger kids. Uh, like, you know, Leo next summer, he yeah. would be our youngest for boys is eight years old. Awesome. Yeah. Experience some of that fun and play with yeah. dad. The weekend is more about you though. The dad, right. It's about the boy. Are those all the in older... Colorado or where, where can yeah, I find one of those? There's one in California. Okay. Uh, there's one in Utah. There's one, uh, I mean, Wyoming, there'll be, I mean, they're all over the place. Yeah. Uh, so uh, what do you call those? Where can I? Where can we find more yeah, about those are, that? Those are called the uh, expeditions, restoration project okay. expeditions. So um, they're on the restoration project link, uh, cool. restorationproject.net. And then awesome. you'll just find the experiences. You can yeah. see all the ones. We have them for different ages of kids, young okay. kids, older kids. We take you and your son or daughter out into the back country. Nice. Uh, we just did our first older kid one where we took them internationally in oh, order fun. to prepare, prepare them to launch out into the world as a global That's citizen. Awesome. So, all that stuff is, uh, but you don't have to come to one of our things. Come, please come. But like, <laughs> you don't have to, you can, you can really yeah. craft some of those things yourself. I love that. What's the importance of, I know a lot of your work is done outside, like in nature. How does that play into just the environment of this? I know I read the parts of when you're taking your son on some of these journeys, they're outside, you're challenging yourself. Yeah. You're kind of coming up against nature and seeing if you can conquer it or not. How does nature yeah. kind of play into this? I think there's two things that I would say to that, Isaac, and, and, and one is it is really, really important for all of us, adult men and men in the process, to recognize how actually small and vulnerable we are. Hmm. And there is uh, nothing more big, <laughs> bigger in the world than being out and facing like the extremes. Yeah. So there is something about the wilderness that uh, just makes us re recognize like how vulnerable we are. 
Yeah. Uh, so there is something about that. But then back to your, you know, iPhone dissociation kind of conversation <laughs> yeah. we were having a minute ago. Like when you're out in the wilderness, you are associated. Yeah. There is nothing else to do but be present to your son or right. present to your daughter. That's why you're here. Um, so we use the wilderness as kind of stripping away of all those other, uh, you know, comforts and accoutrements that we are used to yeah. that, uh, just so that we can be fully present. I love that. What do you kind of do on a, on a retreat or, uh, what did you call them? The, the father son, uh, adventures, the adventures. What would, yeah. What could I expect if I bring my son out there? Okay. So for, for your age of son, uh, it is, we're not doing anything like major backpacking or hiking or anything like that, but we do bring you outside. Uh, it's a weekend of, uh, experience of where you're camping every, Every dad and child, every dad and son or dad and daughter have their, like, you, you have your own tent, you awesome. have your own space. So there yeah. is there is that kind of camping. But then we have uh, loads of fun activities that we are organizing for you, silly things that you're doing, just play, full-on play yeah. with your son or daughter. Um, we've got, you know, all the all the campfire and all that kind of stuff, yeah. uh, BB guns and target shooting, <laughs> all, those, all those kinds of typical kinds of camp things. But... But on that weekend, we also like we will take the the sons away from you mm -hmm. for you know a morning, so that then you get to in the company of other dads, be able to start to tell your story, start to explore some of where you've been. What was your fathering like? How have you been yeah. wounded? What, are you, what what story was written for you, and what story are you writing as a father? Uh, so help you explore some of those things. Yeah, uh, as well, and just introduce some of the categories that we open up in the Manmaker Project book for sons, yeah. uh, and then we have a whole other thing for for girls too. So uh, it's a outdoor fun, crazy, high energy uh, kind of experience that is also really sweet and intimate with moments for just the two of you. Uh, I love that. You know, in, in your own space. The older kids, we do we do do a backpacking. So it's father, it's always fathers and whatever age their child is. So yeah. older kids will go backpacking. We have a canoe trip for boys, canoe trip awesome. for girls, and, and their dads. Right. Um, so uh, those are the kinds of things that we we run. I love it. What's the yeah. importance of blessing? I know you've talked about that in your book. How do you think about that? In the couple minutes, we're almost out of time, but I wanted to talk yeah, about blessing. It's um, blessing. I'll, I'll speak about it this way. I think, uh, our, our female counterparts, women have this beautiful, uh, co-creation aspect of what it means for her to bring life into the world yeah. just by the, by the nature. I mean, you just experienced this by the nature of her body bringing forth life that we men do not have. That, yeah. that participation in the knitting together of a life uh, and then nurturing from her body, even after birth, like the right. nurturing of that sustenance for that little infant is, is all part of that co-creation uh, uh, that she has with the child. We don't have that. Yeah. And at the same time, I think we are gifted with the power of our words, mm -hmm. the power of our words. Our words can either bring life or they can bring death. They can bring life when they are spoken in blessing. They can yeah. bring death either in uh, in the absence of those words or in the harshness yeah. of those words. 
And mm. so if we want to bring life in our, our world and our children, then we have the opportunity to speak life words into them. Yeah. And far more I could say about blessing, but, but that's really kind of why I think it's so important because just as she co-creates and brings forth life in that way, I think we co-create and bring forth life with our words. With our words. Right. And if you believe God created with words, then there's nothing more powerful than that. Well, and, and I think that participation is our words are participating with his. Yeah. And you talk about like there's a, an official blessing, right? But you can be blessing all day long every day as a father, right? You don't just save it for the ceremony. For sure. And it's important yeah. in that kind of ceremony because yeah. I, I think I would love to see a generation of men where there is a generation of children after us that they, none of them would be able to say, I never heard that from my dad. I didn't, yeah. I never heard what he thought about me. I love that. Were so. there any like, uh, favorite rituals that you found in different cultures as in your research about this? Oh, oh maybe that's for, are those in the book? Okay. Read the book. <laughs> uh, I, I think most of the rituals that I found were actually pretty brutal. Uh, yeah. that would, would be uh, illegal today. So, <laughs> uh, but, but it goes back to like, how can we bring our heat? That's what they were going after yeah. was the ritual to try to prove where the boy has to prove himself as a man by walking through some of these really brutal, brutal kind of rituals. So I don't know that I would say I have a favorite one. Um, <laughs> not one you want but, to implement. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Let, let's just leave it at that. We would not want to yeah. implement that. Blessing. I love it. Blessing is a great ritual. <laughs> I love it. Do you have, uh, I like to ask everyone what they're reading. What's on your nightstand right now? Ah, uh, yeah. I am reading a book by a guy named Daniel Taylor. Uh, okay. And the book is called uh, Creating a Spiritual Legacy. Okay. And uh, through storytelling. So how do we actually help shape the, the way of understanding life through the stories that we share um, for, you know, legacy to be passed on to generations after us? So... That's what I'm currently reading. That's what you're currently reading. I love it. Well, thanks yeah. for hopping on today. We're out of time, but uh, this is all such great stuff. Where can people connect with you and follow along with all of this? You said restorationproject.net. Uh, where yes. else are you in the yeah, internet world? Project.net. Uh, you can also find in the world of counseling, which is a whole other thing we didn't talk much about, restory.life. Uh, R-E-S-T-O-R-Y dot life. That's our counseling center where we do work with people all across the country awesome. uh, in, in the space of story work and counseling. So, and we did mention uh, marriage stuff, uh, thrivemarriagelab.com. Thrivemarriagelab.com is a place where you can find some of that marriage work. Cool. I love it. Are you on social media at all or are you, you stay off that? <laughs> uh, well, I'll put it this way. We are on social media. <laughs> I, I am not. So good. Yes. That's probably healthy. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks for yeah. hopping on today. I really enjoyed the conversation. Yeah. Great to be with you. Thank you.